Love is addictive. The way it makes you feel is undeniably euphoric. But what happens when love isn't wholesome or altruistic anymore? What happens when it devolves into possessiveness? And then murder. Can you still call that love? I'm your host Hepburn and you're listening to the Voiceless Speak Forever podcast, a true crime podcast dedicated to exposing the many misdeeds and abuses done to animals. And every week, I'll be covering a new animal abuse case. In today's episode, we'll be covering a murder case that took place in 1994 in Houston, Texas. And, at first, things were okay between the two. There was some tension, but that's to be expected between two people who were merging their lives together, learning more about each other and each other's habits. Compromise isn't an easy task. And John, he immediately realized this when he had to give up his cat for adoption because it and Cheryl's two cats a two-year-old black male cat named Sugar Ray and a six- to seven-month-old calico girl cat named Bonnie didn't get along. Now, I know what you're thinking. He's kind of romantic. Sure, he gave his cat away, and we don't know where it ultimately ended up, if it was okay or not, or if a good person or family adopted it. But he did do it all for love, right? I mean, he loves Cheryl so much. And so badly wanted to be with her that he actually sacrificed his own family member for her. While it might seem like a touching gesture, a pretty clear sign of commitment, and pretty selfless, it really wasn't as sweet as all of that. Because he didn't completely do it for their relationship. He didn't do it strictly so that he and Cheryl would grow closer together. He did it, perhaps, for a more nefarious reason. I mean, if he sacrificed for her and for their love, then it meant that she had to do something similar, right? Now, it was her turn to return the favor. It was her turn to become the girlfriend he wanted. But things didn't play out the way he hoped. Cheryl didn't begin to dote on him excessively or kowtow to his every whim. Instead, she was doing her own thing living her life the way she wanted to. And that included spending quality time with her two cats, Sugar Ray and Bonnie. And John, he didn't like that. He didn't like that Cheryl wasn't putting all her attention on him and instead was putting all her attention on her cats. And that, that was absolutely unacceptable. So he had to change the dynamic between him her and the cats. And while some people might think to maybe bond with the cats too so that they could in turn be able to spend more time with their partner, John's plan wasn't as kosher as all of that. Because, well, he wanted to make sure that the cats would no longer be in the way between him and Cheryl. 
and he knew exactly what he needed to do. In February of 1994, he drove Cheryl to her school in Beaumont. She would be gone to the very next day till around 5 p.m., so he knew that he had enough time to orchestrate his plan. As his car drove into the duplex's parking lot, he knew that this was his one shot to take care of the problem once and for all. For Cheryl, classes had ended much earlier than expected. This meant that she would be able to go home much sooner to see John and her cats. When she rang the doorbell to her home, she didn't get an immediate response like she did in the past. On this day, it took John two minutes to get down to her. She thought it was strange as she walked up the stairs, but it was probably nothing. It was probably because he was just in the bathroom or was just too immersed in something to get down to her sooner. But it didn't matter anymore because now she was about to see her two cats, Sugar Ray and Bonnie. But when she walked into her apartment, she didn't see two happy and healthy cats. Instead, she saw an extraordinarily devastating scene. On the floor were Sugar Ray and Bonnie. Their furs were wet. Foam was coming from their mouths. Their paws were blistered and burned. They were suffering from diarrhea, and they were howling in pain. She asked John what happened. What happened to Sugar Ray and Bonnie? He said he wasn't sure. He was cleaning, so maybe some cleaning fluid got on them. But Cheryl didn't believe him, and when she couldn't get an adequate answer from him, she telephoned the poison control center for assistance. On the call, she learned that her cat's symptoms were out of the ordinary and perhaps a sign that poison had gone into their skin and was advised to bathe them immediately. And she did. She did as she was told. She bathed them with the hope that they would soon get better. But they didn't. They were only getting worse. So, Cheryl, not knowing what else to do, packed up Sugar Ray and Bonnie and headed to the ER. By the time they got to the ER, the cats were in respiratory distress and had signs of oxygen deprivation. The doctor drew blood from them, and upon seeing the dark brown of their blood, he knew immediately the cats had been poisoned, and that the culprit had to be acetaminophen, an ingredient found in Tylenol and Excedrin. And he was right. When the blood work came back, it tested positive for acetaminophen and the amount that they had in their system was equivalent to five or six tablets. An extraordinarily deadly amount, given that a dosage of just two tablets was already fatal. That was when the doctor knew that the medication that they had given Sugar Ray and Bonnie would not reverse the effects of the poison. He knew that Sugar Ray and Bonnie were not long for the world, and that night, Sugar Ray and Bonnie passed away. When he reported the news back to Cheryl and John, Cheryl was devastated. Her cats had died and they had been poisoned. The doctor asked Cheryl and John if they had any spilled tablets in their home. And Cheryl and John said no, there wasn't. They didn't have any spilled pills and they didn't give any pills to the cats. When John and Cheryl got home, she went throughout the house looking for spilled pills, but she found nothing. However, when she opened her medicine cabinet, she found an open bottle of Exedrin PM and once more asked John if he had anything to do with her cat's deaths. John, as before, denied any wrongdoing 
even going as far to say that she was being hysterical for no reason and that they were just cats and could be replaced very easily. That was the last straw for Cheryl. She was no longer going to tolerate his dismissive attitude toward her, to her cats, and her grief. John was dead to her, and right then and there, she kicked them out of the house. To expedite things, Cheryl helped John pack his things up. But as she was packing things up for him, she found that his microwave had a really foul odor, something reminiscent of burnt, wet fur and flesh. To her horror, when she opened the microwave, she saw cat fur all over the insides, on the inside door, on the top, and on the sides. These weren't stray cat hairs that accidentally got into the microwave. It was pretty obvious that cats had been placed in there. When an agent from the Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals picked up the microwave for evidence and examined it, she found not just fur inside the microwave, but a yellow substance in it too. And when the Houston Police Department examined the microwave, they confirmed that the hairs found in there were indeed cat hair. Upon further inspection, they saw much of the hairs stuck to the top and sides were dark, while much of the hairs attached to the door were white. And if you remember, Sugar Ray was a black cat and Bonnie was a calico cat. And some calico cats have white on their chest and belly and have dark fur on their back. So the fur found in the microwave and on the cats matched up. It was pretty obvious then that John had to have put Sugar Ray and Bonnie in there. Unfortunately, because Sugar Ray and Bonnie were already buried by the time they found the microwave and the evidence of the hair, they weren't able to get hair samples from them. So the investigators were unable to positively determine if those particular cat hairs belonged to Sugar Ray and Bonnie. In addition, though they tried to figure out what the yellow substance was, they couldn't find its source, which meant that they couldn't connect it to the death of Sugar Ray or Bonnie, making it unusable in court. But regardless of that, there was enough evidence to charge John with animal cruelty. When charges of animal cruelty were filed against John, he claimed ignorance to what happened to the cats and innocence from any wrongdoing. In his testimony, he said what happened to the cats was at best an accident. He had been cleaning the kitchen and the bathroom. Perhaps they had stepped on the cleaning fluid. He didn't know. But what happened to the cats wasn't his fault, and that his ex-girlfriend and her attorneys were just using him as a scapegoat for an unfortunate event. Besides, how can they say he killed Sugar Ray and Bonnie when there was no real concrete evidence against him? Well, Cheryl, her lawyers, animal welfare officers, and vets didn't give up. Though they didn't have concrete evidence, they did have very strong circumstantial evidence against John. First, when Cheryl left for school that day, the cats were their usual happy and healthy selves. Second, John was alone with the cats. Third, there was cat fur and a really large amount of it in the microwave. Fourth, the blisters on their paws weren't from cleaning fluids. If the cat's burns had been resultant of them stepping on cleaning fluids, then it would not have been located on their paws. Rather, the burns would have been on their tongues, since cats don't like being dirty and would have naturally licked the substance off to clean themselves. The only way that the cats would have received those burns on their paws was if they were placed into the microwave to be cooked and tortured. 
Fifth, the microwave smelled like burnt, wet fur and flesh. Six, the fur in the microwave had to be Sugar Ray's and Bonnie's. No other cats were noted to have been in the home when the crime took place. Seventh, the cats died from acetaminophen poisoning. The dosage found in their blood was equivalent to five or six tablets, exceeding the fatal dosage of two tablets. And cats, they don't like to swallow pills. It might have been an accident if they had just had one or two tablets in their stomachs, but five or six, somebody had to have force-fed them those tablets. And finally, it was strange that Sugar Ray and Bonnie died from the same causes and on the same day. Convinced that there was no other way that the cats could have died, the court found John guilty of the torture and murder of Sugar Ray and Bonnie. The judge convicted John of misdemeanor offense of cruelty to animals, sentenced him to one year in jail, but probated for two years, which meant that he didn't have to serve the time in jail if he didn't get in trouble with the law for those years, and he was made to serve 240 hours of community service and fined $1,800. You would think John would be remorseful about the things that he had done to the cats and to Cheryl, but he wasn't because he went on to appeal his verdict in November of 1995, 10 months after his conviction. But the court was unmoved by John and his attorney's arguments and upheld his original verdict and sentencing. So that was the murder case of Sugar Ray and Bonnie. I hope you guys never encounter a demented person like John because individuals who hurt animals can also hurt people too. So be vigilant about animal abusers and abuse. And if you see something, say something. Because you might not only be saving an animal's life, but a person's life too. So thank you so much for listening to the Voiceless Speak Forever podcast. If you like the episode, please leave a review, subscribe, and tell others about this podcast because it's so important that more people know that animal abuse happens very frequently and that it's not just a sometimes thing, just because we rarely see it on the news. Also, make sure you check out the Voiceless Speak Forever Instagram page. It's the period VSF period official. It features interviews from animal advocates and many cute animal photos, so it's pretty heartwarming. And you can sign a petition we started demanding that social media sites and streaming platforms ban images depicting animal cruelty. I'll leave a link for all of these in the show notes. So please remember to spread the word about VSF and thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you guys next time. Toodles!